This is On the Line. From the capstone to the plains, in-depth coverage, opinions, and analysis of the most heated rivalry in all of sports, all things Alabama and Auburn are right here. Now, you're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. On the line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law on AU100, Kicks 96.3 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama and Auburn and Alabama football is back and so are we here with you on your Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Once again on AU100, Kicks 96.3 or Fox Sports Central, Alabama, or if you're listening to the audio podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? What's going on, buddy? Different locations, but uh, you're out there in, uh, in, on the plains. I'm in Sylacauga, ready to get a good Saturday morning show underway, some fun college football Alabama and Auburn are back, so it doesn't feel like this weekend is going to be a waste again. Three weeks. It's almost been almost three weeks since these guys have played. What is the most important thing you want to see from your squad? And I'll address it from an Auburn standpoint, you from an Alabama standpoint. We haven't seen them in quite some time. For Auburn, it's been since the Halloween thumping of LSU. For Alabama, how long has it been? It feels like it's only been two weeks for Alabama. Has has it been a full three weeks? We all played on Halloween, but it's – that day, then the next week, then the next week, and you're fully rolling back into this week. I mean, you've gone a long time without playing college football. So, yeah. So what's we, the most important thing you want to see? Yeah, um, I think the most important thing I want to see is how can – this is going to – we're playing Kentucky. Like, I mean, you're, so you expect to dominate this game. I think they're 3-4, three 3-3 and four, three and three somewhere around there, sitting around 500, under 500. Um, you're going to see a different type of offense. Terry Wilson, a limited quarterback. I want to see if the defense can take advantage of a team that is completely one-dimensional. Now, Terry Wilson can move with his legs. Going back to the first game of this year when everybody was telling us that Terry Wilson was going to be just a dynamic quarterback and he comes out against Auburn and they attempt like two passes longer than 15 yards in the whole game. That's how it was. Can Pete Golding take advantage of this? Can the defense shake the rust off? This is a type of offense that is greased so well, Noah, that I don't think you have to worry about the offense shaking the rust off. I don't think you have to worry about the offense getting back in the swing of things. Now, they may come out and go three and out on the first drive, but I'm talking about Alabama struggling to score 28 points in this game. Alabama will be fine scoring points. want to make sure that defense is still good to go because a lot of young guys with I mean, you go back, last game was on Halloween, it's the 20th. They've gone, I mean, when we're recording this, it's the 20th. They've gone 21 days. 21 days without playing college football. It's a long time, and your biggest criticism that you've had of that Alabama defense is how they defend the run, how they defend running backs when throwing to them out of the backfield. And Kentucky's going to do a lot of that against Alabama on Saturday. They're known for being one of the most run-centric teams in our league, one of the most run-centric teams in the country. When you look at their two quarterbacks that they have, Terry Wilson and Joey Gatewood, those guys are run first. They are not pass-first quarterbacks. And if they are, they're not very good at it. And so when I look at this Alabama-Kentucky game, I would agree with you. Can Alabama dominate a one-dimensional team? 
you would be willing to bet that they can, that that makes the job a little bit easier for Alabama. If they can't defend the the run very well against Kentucky this Saturday, it could draw up some concerns for a rejuvenated Auburn rushing attack in the Iron Bowl next week. How do you feel about the Iron Bowl a week away from that matchup and how you can defend the rushing attack? Well, I don't think that so Alabama's going to have any problem stopping the the run. I mean, listen, I know Miss State doesn't run the ball and Kylan Hill's not playing. This defense is coming off a shutout in 2020. There aren't many shutouts being pitched across college football. I mean, let's get let's be honest about it. That de- this defense since the first half against Georgia of letting Stetson Bennett kind of pick them apart, man, they've given up 17 points. Now, I know we've missed a couple games. We had about a week and we missed a game, but that's pretty dang good. And if you can make a team, one Alabama made Georgia one-dimensional in the second half, and they took advantage of it. They pitched a shutout in that second half against Georgia. Tennessee one-dimensional. If you can get a team to be one-dimensional, and Kentucky is going to be a, I count those throwouts to the right and the left as running play. I really do. I think a lot of DCs do. I know it's, you're throwing it two yards, it counts as a pass, but you defend that so close to the line of scrimmage that it is almost like a running play, just out of the backfield, getting it out quickly. I think Alabama, with a one-dimensional team like Kentucky, you'll be able to see them They'll squat on the run and then try to force Kentucky to throw the ball downfield. I'm not sure what you can take from this Kentucky game and apply it to the future, and I'm not sure there's anything that you can really take from this Kentucky game and say, well, Alabama didn't do this or did do this, and that's how it's going to relate to the Iron Bowl. I really don't see it. I that this the schemes are different. There's a better quarterback on the planes. There's better receivers on the planes. I'm not sure how much translate. Do you see anything from this week? I know you want to see your team play well, but nothing to me really says, all right, this means this when you roll into the Iron Bowl. I would agree with that. The only thing that I would say is if Alabama gives up copious amounts of yards on the ground, how does Auburn, if Auburn even takes a page out of Kentucky's book for a game plan, Gus Malzahn, regardless of anything else that has happened in a football season, Gus Malzahn has always game planned very well for the Alabama Crimson Tide. But even so, they game plan horribly for a team like Georgia. So there are trends when you look at the Gus Malzahn tenure and how that relates to the Iron Bowl, how that relates to Deep South's oldest rivalry. Traditionally, Auburn plays Alabama very, very tight. They then can go and lay eggs against Georgia and LSU throughout the season leading up to it. So it's very hard to gauge. We know Auburn's going to put together a good game plan to give Alabama their best game probably of the season, minus that old Miss game. I'm thinking more about the Auburn game this week against Tennessee and how that translates to the Iron Bowl because Auburn hasn't played in three weeks since they dominated LSU on Halloween. And if Auburn wants to have any shot of competing against Alabama, and of course Auburn could be looking ahead to the Iron Bowl this week and they could lay an egg against Tennessee and barely edge out the balls. But when I see Tennessee, I see what Auburn could have become this year when Auburn was – Sitting at 500, had a chance to fall below 500 when they were going into that Ole Miss game. They were two and two. We all talked about Auburn can go up or they can go down. Does this cat have nine lives? Is it still ticking? And Auburn 
found a way to swim. They didn't sink. Tennessee, on the other hand, has lost four games in a row. Quarterback play has been an atrocity. Offensive line play hasn't been that good, and they have one of the worst defenses in the SEC, giving up over 30 points a game. That could have been Auburn at this point with the way that their quarterback play was going, with the way the offensive line was gelling at the time, and the way that the defense was playing with how many points they were giving up to teams like South Carolina and Arkansas. But Auburn has gone up. Tennessee has gone down. And really, for the Tigers, you want to see consistency going into the Iron Bowl. And it's got to center around quarterback play. If Auburn's going to have any shot of beating Alabama, Bo Nix, just like he did last year, is going to have to make all the plays. Not saying that Bo Nix was the lone reason why Auburn won the Iron Bowl last year. But if Bo Nix makes one less clutch play in last year's Iron Bowl, Auburn doesn't win it, right? It was a three-point difference. And so I want to see how Bo Nix looks after three weeks to really develop off of his best I think we've ever seen him have. I, I think Bo Nix has, in his last two games, the two best performances we've seen from him in his entire career. Granted, they weren't against good defenses. They were against future defenses. But I think we have seen improvement from Bo Nix this season since he was playing horrible against Georgia and South Carolina. No, and listen, when you play Ole Miss, it, it, it helps you. I mean, it, that's just the truth. And he, what, what makes you scratch your head about Bo Nix, they haven't played a quality defense since they lost to South Carolina, which was also not a quality defense. Everybody is scoring points on Ole Miss. And listen, you could take some, some of Mac Jones' stat line away from that too. Like he threw for four, 500 yards in that game. Cal Trask got to play Ole Miss. I mean, everybody who's played Ole Miss has put points on the board. Everybody who's played LSU – outside of Will Muschamp has put points on the board on LSU. And so to me, it's still very hard to gauge Auburn and where they are. Like if you were going to take, you know, if, if you were all, if you were going to take two games and say, I'm not sure how, if Auburn played two teams and I I wasn't going to be able to sure, be able to tell how good they were and be sure how good they were. You'd probably say Ole Miss, and LSU just because of how bad they are on defense. Like, it could be a facade. We don't know. I still think Bo Nix is an above-average quarterback. I still – and that's saying a good thing. I mean, average, I think you would be right there at, you know, seventh in the SEC. I think he's four or five still. I mean, well, you know and, and, crazy? You, you know, pro football focus, PFF. I saw an article on Twitter the other day, and it was ranking every single quarterback in college football. And, of course, they rank quarterbacks by completely different metrics than what any other human being on this planet that watches football does. But I do give weight to a lot of what PFF does. I, f- I find it very interesting, and it's an, it is a different way, and I think it's a useful way of looking at football. Bo Nix was ranked in the 40s, the 40s of QBs in the country. I was blown away by that. I mean, I think he's a much better quarterback than a lot of the guys on that list. I definitely think he's a top 15 quarterback in college football or a top 20 quarterback in college football. But like guys like Colin Hill at South Carolina were ranked ahead of him on PFF's metric or however they were choosing to rank these guys. Bo Nix was in the 40s. I thought I thought that was ludicrous. Well, I, I mean, that's above average. There's 133 teams now? I mean... That's 40, 80, 120, still in the upper 66th percentile, upper 70th percentile. And I probably would say that's that's where Bo Nix, I mean, he's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Mac Jones. He's not Kyle Trask. He's not Justin Fields. He's not the guy from BYU. He's not the guy at Cincinnati. Uh, but he's better than the majority of group of five quarterbacks that were listed in front of him on that list, though, which would... Listen, I, I'm not so 20s. sure what Bo Nix has ever done to really say this guy is a top 15 quarterback in college football. 
I mean, I mean, he could be. It's a fair assessment. Uh, he could be. I'm not saying he's not, but like, where is it? He's played Ole Miss and LSU back to back, who have abysmal defenses. And now everybody is back on this train of Auburn. Listen, Auburn doesn't have a chance to beat Alabama next week. There's no pressure on the game for Alabama. There's not. In non-pressure Iron Bowls, Alabama runs away with these. And there's no, there's nothing pressure situation about this Iron Bowl. You're at home. If Auburn beats you, you're still going to Atlanta. You get to close out the year with LSU and Arkansas, both guaranteed wins. If Auburn beats you, it doesn't hurt you. There's there's just no pressure around this Iron Bowl for Nick Saban. What's what's worse? Worst thing that happens to Nick Saban is he loses to Gus Malzahn and he goes to Atlanta, beats Florida, and he ends up in the college football playoff again. What's the worst thing that happens to Gus? They expect they expect to lose the Iron Bowl on the Plains this year. They beat them last year. You've already said it. You chalk it up. You'll say, okay, we lost to Georgia and Alabama this year. We'll get ready for Bo Nix's junior season. I mean, there's this this I I'm just not so how is Bo Nix against any good defense that he's played last year has been about average? And how is he going to keep up with Mac Jones and an Alabama defense that is just not hampered by injuries? I don't know how it's going to happen. And it's not hampered by what's hurting a lot of defenses this year is opt-outs. I mean, Mississippi State's defense is killed with opt-outs. LSU's is killed with opt-outs. There's a lot of opt-outs hurting teams right now, too. You're not wrong. When you're talking about keeping up with Alabama, I am not in disagreement with you. I wouldn't say that Auburn has no chance because no you've chance. already gotten burned on that at some point this well, year when you're talking about Auburn LSU. But I'm definitely going to say right now, I mean, Alabama is going to win the Iron Bowl. I, I see it. I mean, I, I think Alabama is the best team in the country. I've said it all year long on this show, or at least since early in the in the season. I think that Alabama has now separated themselves from the rest of college football. The, the factor here that we have to look at, I think it centers around on the Auburn defense as well, not just the quarterback play. I think when you look at east of each of the last three Iron Bowl victories, defense has contributed to the victory in a huge way. Last Iron Bowl, I know Auburn gave up 45 points, but they had two pick sixes. They scored for Auburn, right? You look at two Iron Bowls ago uh, that Auburn won back in 2017. Auburn held Jalen Hurts, Calvin Ridley to 14 points on the plains. That's so did everybody and, else. Those guys were horrible. And then – in 2013, when Auburn won, you'll remember part of Auburn's comeback was holding Alabama to field goals, a big fourth down stand in the fourth quarter in that game. It kept Auburn in the football game when it felt like it was it was slipping away. And so in all three victories for Gus Malzahn against Alabama, the defense has came up with clutch, key, crucial plays. And in the case of last year's Iron Ball, two pick sixes is why Auburn won the football game. And I think you would agree with that. And so I don't know if Auburn's defense makes those plays this year in this Iron Bowl to be able to keep Auburn in it. This Alabama offense, I think, is elite. I've said many times that I think it's the best offense that Nick Saban's ever had. I think Matt Jones is having one of the best quarterback seasons that Nick Saban's ever had, maybe ever in Alabama history. And only the best defenses, the most elite defenses in college football can only hope to contain, only hope to contain. They cannot stop. And by contain, I mean hold them maybe to 30 points. And then you can hope and pray that your offense was able to score 31 on their their defense. That is now, in my opinion, moving into the upper echelon of college football as one of the better defenses in college football, if not, you know, in that top five, top three category. I'm going to say the same thing about Alabama's defense as I've said about Auburn's offense. They have not played a good offensive team since they played Ole Miss. I would say a great offensive team. Listen, Tennessee's averaging 20... 20.7 20.7 per game Yeah, in 2020. In the modern-day era of college football, that's horrible. Georgia's Stetson Bennett is bad. I think Nick Saban has had his hand on this defense a little bit more, which has made things tougher for opposing teams. I think he's been there with Pete Golding. 
kind of helping out. I think there's been a lot more of input from Sal Sunseri, Charles Kelly, guys like that who have just been defensive coordinators and and uh, defensive coaches for a very long period of time. Then make no mistake about it. Let's not hype up this Alabama defense either because even this week, they're not going to play an elite offense. Against Auburn, they're not going to play an elite offense. They have played one elite offense, maybe two. I will almost put Texas A&M's offense in that almost elite category. In our league, it's elite. Now, maybe not nationwide, but we're playing an all-SEC schedule. And they did a pretty good job against Texas A&M and Kellamon. They blew those guys out, and it got it just got too far ahead where Kellamon made a couple mistakes. But this Alabama defense, guys, we don't know what it is. You may not know what it is until you play Cal Trask in Florida, and then you'll say, we may be scratching our heads after the SEC championship game if Alabama wins 47-40 to 40 or loses 47-40. to 40. Like, man, this defense really hasn't got it better. They just went through a five-game stretch to close the whole regular, really, I guess, what, that'd be a six-game stretch to close the regular season where they didn't play anybody that's good on offense. On the other side of this break here on AU100, Kicks 96.3 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. We got more of On the Line coming your way. Speed round presented by the Brown Insurance Agency coming up. You're listening to On the Line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. We'll be right back. You're on the line. Now, Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law with you on On the Line Speed Round presented by the Brown Insurance Agency. Life is coming at you fast, just like Speed Round. Make sure you and your family are in good hands by allowing Lance Brown to be a part of your team. He'll make sure that you understand your policy and that you are fully protected. Call Lance Brown Allstate at 334-758-0088 or visit at 3051 Frederick Road in Opelika. Jeremy, same rules as always. We got six questions coming your way. We got about two minutes to three minutes on each one. You ready to go? Let's get it. Starting with question number one. How do you feel about Isaac Okoro's selection to the Cleveland Cavaliers? Number five overall in the NBA draft. A huge, huge program boost for Bruce Pearl. We talk about it with Nick Saban. Nick Saban put eyes in the league. That's why recruiting is so good at Alabama. Now, Auburn's doing the exact same thing. Two straight years that Auburn has had a lottery pick in the NBA draft. Yeah, to me, listen, Okoro is a very, very good basketball player. He's a high-flying guy, but I almost look at it as such a scoring league right now, and he was not a great scorer last year. He's going to do fine in the NBA. He's going to be a a long-time NBA player. Don't get me wrong. And he's going to be a heck of a defensive player. And he's probably the, I mean, he's the, one of the best. He's, the, I guess, the second best player in the SEC because Georgia got the overall number one lotto pick with Anthony Edwards. But it's a big move for Auburn. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to help Bruce Pearl in recruiting because it already feels like Bruce Pearl is going lights out right now. I think it just keeps the momentum going, if anything. It sustains it or helps sustain it. I agree with you. This is a really weak draft class like typically Okoro is probably still a lottery pick but he's somewhere in the low teens like 13 he's where Kira Lewis probably got drafted Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll get to him in a second because I think in most draft classes Kira Lewis maybe isn't even a first round draft pick he may even be a late first round draft pick but my thing about Okoro is 
For a long time, when Auburn got Mustafa Heron on campus several years ago, Auburn fans went crazy. They they were like, oh yeah, Mustafa Heron's for sure an NBA dra- uh, is an NBA player. And I always said to people, I said, Mustafa Heron's not going to make it in the league because he's not more athletic than the guys he's going to be playing against in the NBA, and he doesn't possess a great three ball. So when I view Isaac Okoro, although he's not a great scorer of the basketball because he doesn't have a great jump shot right now. What I at least do see in Okoro and why he's going to make it in the league is he's athletic, he possesses a great frame, and he's a strong defender, and that's going to allow him to survive. He's at least as athletic, if not more athletic, than the majority of the players that he'll face in the NBA. So I'm super excited about him. This is probably one of the worst locations he could have got drafted mm-hmm. to. Yeah, As we all know, I'm a, I'm a Cleveland guy. I love the Cleveland Browns. I like the Cleveland Cavaliers, but there is no secret that the Cleveland Cavaliers are one of the most poorly ran franchises in the NBA. So this is a tough place for a wing guy to go who's trying to develop his offensive game still, but he's definitely going to have a role. He'll probably start at the three, and he's going to be a, he's going to be putting NBA players in straight jackets. I mean, he put the number one overall player in the NBA draft in a straight jacket. Anthony Edwards could not, not score against Isaac Okoro, so I, I really like the pick. But yeah, listen, he's a, guy, he's a great defensive guy, but how many guys go to the league and just improve their jump shot? Like, how, what, how many guys get in the league and go from being a 30% three-point guy to a 45% three-point guy? I'm not sure how often that happens. And Okoro, it is a weak draft class, and Kira Lewis probably would have been a 20 or below selection in any other NBA draft, maybe not even a first-round guy possesses skills but once again the NBA isn't the time to become a better player you get picked in a lottery you're on the floor I mean it's like the if you're a first round draft pick in the quarterback this is the time for you to develop it's time for you to go out and play Justin Herbert and and play some of these other guys like it's time to go and I don't know how 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 much hope you can put into a guy getting into the NBA and then all of a sudden becoming a much better shooter because I feel like if you can't if you're like Steph Curry's and Clay Thompson's these guys shoot it's what they do and that's what makes you the big bucks yeah and, and before we move to Kira Lewis Jr. about Okoro a guy that I've seen some people comp Okoro to Kawhi Leonard but Kawhi Leonard's still a great offensive player they're, they're just seeing that defense and how Kawhi entered the league and Kawhi was not highly sought after so like I understand where people are uh-huh. getting there a guy that I see more closely resembling Okoro's uh, is OG Anuobi. Uh, he plays for the Raptors, and he, he's a Hoosier guy. Once again, it's also documented. I, lo- I love Indiana basketball. And he was not a good offensive player. He was fine. I mean, he didn't possess a great jump shot, but he's developed a little bit. So it, it kind of depends on what franchise you go to. And so I'm a little bit nervous. I, I When the Cleveland Cavaliers pick showed up, I said, please not Cleveland, please, because I know how poorly ran that, that franchise is. And so I hate it for his development. Because I'm like, what, what? what's the last player that's developed out of Cleveland, right? Kyrie. Kyrie's it. Well, I mean, Colin Sexton's, Colin Sexton's pretty good. I mean, he don't he's know. fine, but like, is he, is it like he could have been even better somewhere else? Like, imagine yeah, if he's playing but, for, the, for the Celtics. But is he not? The good thing for Okora is the NBA is made to score, it's made for points. You'll find a way to score in the NBA. Don't worry. Now, is it enough? We'll see. Here, Lewis Jr., how do you feel about his selection? 13th overall to the Pelicans. Kind of makes sense considering Drew Holiday is no longer a Pelicans player and they probably needed to replace point guard and shooting guard. Kira Lewis is a guy that you can rely on to not turn the ball over a lot. He is a steady handler. Is he going to come out and just dominate the game from a point guard position? 
in the NBA. He dominated a lot of games in colleges in college, but there's also some times where you thought Kara Lewis should have been a better at the bucket. He attacks the rim okay. Uh, we'll see, man. The NBA is tough. And once again, he's a lotto pick. They're going to put him out there, and they're going to expect him to play, and they're going to expect him to play well. And uh, listen, Kira's a great guy. Alabama through and through guy. I think he's really beloved by the fan base in Tuscaloosa. But, you know, is he going to be a star in the league? Unless he just surprises everybody? Probably not. He's going to be a, Is he going to be a 14-year veteran? Probably. He'll play it for a lot. He's one of those guys that... This year he's on this team. Two years from now he's on that team. He'll probably play for five or six teams throughout his tenure in the league. But he'll be a solid player. I don't see him just being a game breaker. Question number three, South Carolina, they jettisoned out Will Muschamp. He's gone. Was it the right decision to fire Will Muschamp midseason? I think we could both agree it was the, the writing was on the wall for him at the end of the year. But was it the right decision to fire him midseason? Well, if you remember last week's show, Noah, and I know you didn't want to chop this one up and play it back. I told you if he loses the game, he's getting fired. And he got fired on Sunday. Like he did, they didn't wait till Monday. They fired him the day after. Modern day college football coronavirus. Go ahead, get your coach, get him in there, let him work with the recruiting class, and figure out what you could do. They're already on the coaching search now. They are a couple months ahead of everybody. They're talking to guys like Napier, Hugh Freeze, maybe, who knows? And they may be able to land a really good coach because they were beating some of these teams to the punch. And at South Carolina is a horrible job. They can thank Steve Spurrier for that because he actually gave these people expectations and they've never won until Steve Spurrier got there and they will probably never win again. I think they did the right thing, but for them to land a Spurrier-like coach, they're going to have to get ahead of the trend. And Will Muschamp's a joke. He's been a joke everywhere he's been since he left Nick Saban's hip at, at, was he, at LSU? Didn't he go to Miami with him for a year? He had a great year with Auburn in like 07 and 06. Oh, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. But once he... From the, from the time that Saban beat him when he was at Texas, Will Muschamp for the last 11 years has been a mediocre defensive coordinator and a horrible head coach. I don't know I don't know if this makes South Carolina better now, but your point about them going ahead and getting started on a coaching search might beat things to the punt. Like, nobody's going to accept the job midseason. It's not like Chadwell and... Coastal Carolina, who's having a great year right now, is just going to be like, "Yeah, I'll go and I'll take the job." You know, mid-year. I mean, that. Never oh, they're not going to expect like, him to coach the team, but he's going right. to take the job. I just, I don't think South Carolina hires a dude until the offseason. Like maybe first week of the offseason, I think we see it. Like right when we're getting around conference championship time, once teams aren't playing anymore, we're about to go into bowl season. That's when you see that first wave of new coaching changes occur, and I think that's when you see them announce their hire. I think they're just going to take this time to be very thorough in what they do and I would say the two candidates that I'm looking at immediately is Hugh Freeze just because it makes sense and this seems like a door is opening for him to come back to the SEC I think it would be a poor decision but I could see it happening and then Chadwell at Coastal Carolina I think Chadwell at Coastal Carolina he's won everywhere he's been now he's had some run-ins with the NCAA in the past as well my big my big beef with Hugh Freeze going to South Carolina South Carolina is already going on probation and Hugh Freeze is going to draw so much scrutiny right now anywhere he goes. The NCAA, it's like that somebody's watching me song, you know, from the 1980s or 90s or whenever it was. That's going to be South Carolina every waking moment under Hugh Freeze. And it's like, I don't know if that's the guy you want coming in right now. Maybe give it a couple of years when the NCAA and the rest of the country has forgotten about Hugh Freeze and he's not as much of a polarizing figure at the moment. But like, 
you know, in like three years, maybe maybe he could go to a place and there won't be as much scrutiny. You, you always have the eyes on you, though, because of Hugh Freeze's track record and how big that was. And I mean, that, that was that was some dirty laundry that just got thrown out into the open. Uh, just the levity of that at Ole Miss has really hurt whatever yeah. team hires Hugh Freeze in the future. Question number four, then, which big school is next to fire a head coach this season? Tennessee. Really? You think them I, over Michigan? I, well, okay, my bad. I thought we were staying in the SEC here. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, I think, is pretty close to done. I don't know how you. I don't know how you could do worse than him. Now, James Franklin, luckily, has a couple of solid years to back him up from being this close from winning the Big Ten. So he could actually have some help. Is there? Are they? They're sitting winless too, right? Yeah, Penn State's 0-4. Michigan's at least won a game. Yeah, but you can also make the case that over, since Michigan won week one, I believe they have also just looked just as bad as Penn State since that time. And James Franklin has good tenure. J- Jim Harbaugh's is just running out. And if it's not Jim Harbaugh, I think that the Tennessee fan base, that they'll they'll say that they've seen enough of Jeremy Pruitt three years. You're averaging 20.7 points per game. You have a junior, senior quarterback. A guy's played a lot of football, and you haven't done anything with it. I think Tennessee and Philip Fulmer are about to say, this experiment's done. We cannot wait another year. Just imagine waiting another year, getting the same thing next year, and then your program is just blah. And I don't know who Tennessee goes out and hires. I don't know. See, is that Hugh Freeze? Like, is the door open for Hugh Freeze at that point? Does Tennessee, Tennessee's not on probation. Yeah. See, that's the difference there between those two scenarios. Is Tennessee's not on probation yet. Just don't get caught, <laughs> right? Well, and, if, if and you're right. Listen. Close. The Hugh Free, for Hugh Freeze, Tennessee is a much more attractive job. Even more so, I think, than Ole Miss because of the resources and the pedigree. Ole Miss had one since the 60s. They have a walk of champions without the championships, right? Yeah. Tennessee's got a championship in the last 30 years. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Last 20 years. So that might be the door for him to come back in. Maybe Tennessee does take a shot like that. All right, moving on. Question number five. Hey, basketball season starts next week. November 25th is when it gets rolling for both Auburn and Alabama. We'll start off with Alabama. Is Alabama basketball your prediction right now? Are they a tournament team in 2021? If there's a tournament, they better be in it because uh, you look up and down this roster, what do they have? The second best roster in the SEC, second or third. They have a better roster than Auburn. Auburn fans, don't be mad at me. Look at the roster. No, true. I mean, just look at the roster. They have a better roster. Now, Nate Oates is going to score a lot of points this year. Can their defense keep up? It's, it's kind of a football type of thing. You're playing a high flying, running up and down the floor, spending a lot of energy on offense. You got to bring the energy on the defensive end. And they Alabama didn't do that last year. They collapsed last year. What's going to keep the collapse from happening? Because at, at mid-January, Bama fans are waiting on it. They're waiting on it. They've been waiting on it. It's happened in the last decade. How do they get over that middle of conference play slump where it looks like they're in the tournament? Next thing you know, they're the next four in, and they're the last four in, and they're the first four out, and then the next four out. Alabama's got to do something this year because if they're not in the tournament this year, and if they don't win two tournament games, I think it's a disappointment because this is a good basketball team. Should be a good basketball team. I don't know if it's a disappointment if they don't make it to the Sweet 16. I definitely think that they have that type of trajectory if they live up to expectations. Like, I've said this. This Alabama team is the perfect mix in college basketball of raw, talented youth, and then experience. I mean, they get that Yale grad transfer that I've forgotten his name at the moment. I don't know if you know that off the top of your head, but they got the Yale transfer that fills a void in the post that Alabama has been sorely missing down low since Dante Hall left. And then you look at the backcourt. You still have a guy like 
John Petty could go off. John Petty could dismantle a team when he gets hot. This Alabama team has something for everybody on this roster. And so I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they're better than Auburn now. I think Auburn has more talented and uh, and more as far as quantity of raw talent on this roster. Like, I think we could be looking at after how Auburn's recruited and has now signed Trey Alexander and Jabari Smith, number five overall recruit in the country. I think you could be looking at a top 10, top five Auburn team next year kind of trajectory. Next when year? All this We're talking about this year. Ne- next year, correct. And I think you're going to have your growing pains. When I look at Alabama before we get to Auburn, and we'll just wrap this all up into this last question. So I'm on Alabama right now, and then I'll get to Auburn, and then you'll finish. Um, Alabama, I think for sure is a tournament team this year, but we're playing less games this season, okay? Alabama's non-conference schedule, and I'm comparing it to Auburn's not as tough. Still pretty tough, though, that they're playing in the Maui. They need to go and collect some big non-conference wins. Not as many games this year as we have in recent years, but if, if I was, you know, somehow there was a ratio or something, Alabama won 16 games last year. If this was a normal year in college basketball, I have to have confidence that Alabama is going to win four to six more games this year. And, I, and I'm and i believing, and I'm choosing to believe this year, and maybe I'll get burned because Alabama has burned everyone on this logic every single year. But it seems like this Alabama team is probably four to six wins better this year to be able to make the tournament. I'd hope so. I don't just I don't see I just don't see a lot of games where I'm like they lose this one. I, I used to be able to pick those off the schedule, right? They lose this game, yeah. they're losing this game. Now it's everything's expe- winnable. Expectation is there, and listen, Nate Oates is a good coach. Man, I have a friend that coached baseball at Buffalo while Nate Oates was the coach at Buffalo. Says Nate Oates is a really good coach, man. He gets those guys to play. And last year's year one, you get three years in college basketball. If it ain't this year, though, people are going to start to feel like they were in the middle of the Anthony Grant tenure, in the in the midst of the Avery Johnson tenure, who, if Avery Johnson doesn't blow a couple late-season games, they beat, they are able to play some easier teams and possibly have a Sweet 16 team the year that they did make the tournament. I mean, you lose some games you shouldn't lose. You get a crappy seed. You play one seed in the second round, you're going to lose. Now, Auburn, before we get out of here, I think there's a 50-50 shot Auburn makes the tournament this year. If Auburn was playing more games, the record looks sexier at the end of the year, okay? Like, although you may have lost, like last year, Auburn, you know, beat fewer great teams than they did two years ago when they went on their Final Four run. Auburn definitely had an improved record last year based off of their non-conference schedule. It wasn't as strong. This year, the non-conference schedule is brutal. The easiest team Auburn has in their non-conference schedule is Troy. That is tough. Auburn's playing the preseason number one and number two teams this year. You just, you don't, like you could leave non-conference play five and five or or not five and five, but at 500 this year and be like, man, yeah, Auburn could be with some good teams. They're going to be all right in SEC play. Here's the story. At the end of of the conference schedule, Auburn's got the six toughest teams that this league has to offer. They're going to be playing Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, Mississippi State. They're going to be playing all those teams in their last six games. Auburn's going to have a shot to play themselves into the tournament at the end of the SEC schedule. But this is just going to be such a tough year because the the basketball is really going to have to fall Auburn's way. They're going to have to get the bounces to go their way, and they're going to have to make some clutch shots against some great teams if they're going to want to get into the tournament because this year you're playing less games and there's just not as many opportunities 
to get into the dance. On the other side of this break, we got game predictions coming your way. Speed Round brought to you by the Brown Insurance Agency. Life is coming at you fast, just like Speed Round. Make sure you and your family are in good hands by allowing Lance Brown to be a part of your team. He'll make sure that you understand your policy and that you're fully protected. Call Lance Brown Allstate at 334-758-0088 or visit at 3051 Frederick Road in Opelika. Back on the other side of this break here on On the Line. You're listening to On the Line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. We'll be right back. This is On the Line. Wrapping up the show here on AU100, Kicks 96.3 in Fox Sports Alabama, or Central Alabama. Or on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Pod- Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We got game picks coming your way. Jeremy and I picked the exact same picks last week, and it was one of those slates where you're like, yeah, these are sure winners. I'm still behind in the standings by one game, 57-27 and 27 overall. Jeremy at 58-26. and 26. We got a good schedule this week. Some, I don't think we're going to pick the same on every game here, but let's start it off. Number nine, Indiana at number three, Ohio State, 11 a.m. On Fox. A lot of people are waiting to see if Ohio State's for real. A lot of people are waiting to see if Indiana's for real. I still think Indiana's a good team. I think they've surprised a lot of people. They've surprised me. They just don't have the Jimmys and Joes to win this game. Justin Fields is a still a, I know Mac Jones is the leader in the Heisman race. Justin Fields is still the second best quarterback in college football overall. Has a lot of talent around him. I think this is the weekend Ohio State wakes up, truly wakes up, and they win this game. Now, they have been giving up a lot of rush yards, which is kind of concerning for Ohio State, but they, they and a lot of points. But a lot of these teams early in their seasons, like Ohio State and Clemson, Alabama, giving up a lot of points, give the defense time to settle down in this era of college football. Ohio State wins this one. Yeah, you said it best. We said Indiana doesn't have the Jimmy and Joe's. They've been a fun story. They're still the yeah. second best team in that division maybe not in the entire big 10 because i think wisconsin is reserved for that role they're probably the third best team though in the big 10 this year and then i would say the fourth best maybe is nebraska uh, not nebraska maybe is northwestern um but I, this indiana team as, as fun as it's been with michael Penix jr at quarterback justin fields and the ohio state crew is still better they're at home in the horseshoe give me ohio state in this one as well lsu at arkansas 11 a.m sec network battle for the beehive boot Texas A&M and Arkansas? LSU and Arkansas. LSU and Arkansas. You said the boot. Why is it the beehive boot? Is that a thing? Because Arkansas and LSU, the states, when you put them together, it looks like a boot. Yeah, but is it really the beehive? Oh, excuse me. The beehive boot is the Utah State. It's the Utah rivalries. Excuse me. It's the, all right, well, I need to go back and look at that up. No, it's the battle of the boot, though. It is. And Sam Pittman's getting a dub. I think for Sam Pittman to take over this Arkansas program where it was and beat LSU. Now, I know LSU is bad this year, but if he beats LSU in this rivalry matchup, which is traditionally that LSU-Arkansas game since Arkansas joined the league in the 90s has been a rivalry matchup. Like, this has been their end-of-the-year type of deal. And I think this is one that Sam Pittman has a chance to win, and I think Sam Pittman does win. And he's going to get into the locker room. They're going to do the Woo Pig suit. He's going to turn that jukebox on, and they're going to get to dancing, baby. 
Golden Boot is what it's called. Battle for the Golden Boot. Excuse me. Beehive Boots like Utah State, BYU, Utah, BYU. All well, that's the, what threw me the, off. I, I was like, I just, just can't. I was like, does Texas A&M and Arkansas play this weekend? Wait, what boot is this? Because I knew it wasn't that boot. But here we go. All right. I, I like your pick there. They play hard for Sam Pittman. This is a. This is the. This will be the most prestigious win on Arkansas schedule this year because it's a rival. And they can beat them. And if they do, Arkansas sitting at 500 at 4-4 four and four overall. That's crazy. LSU, on the other hand, they've been dealing with a lot of distractions, even more so than what distractions they've had with offense, trying to figure out who's going to play quarterback for them. And then in the meanwhile, they're playing a chaotic defense that is leading the league in takeaways with 16. I think all of this favors Arkansas playing at home this week. I like them to win this game as well. Number 10, Wisconsin at number 19, Northwestern, 2.30 p.m., ABC. I love the Northwestern story right now, too. You got two of the big boys in the Big Ten, and you have Northwestern and Indiana hanging in there. But as you already said, Wisconsin is the second-best team in the Big Ten right now and can be the best team in the Big Ten. All they got to do is win one game to be the best team in the Big Ten, and I like Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin has been the most impressive team in the Big Ten this year with how they're beating folks. Their average margin of victory is 38 points per game. Northwestern, on the other hand, who's also undefeated, there are four undefeated Big Ten teams. Two of them will remain after this week because all of the undefeateds are playing each other. Northwestern's only beating teams by 14 points a game. Now, neither of these teams have played anybody good. Uh, they've played the worst that the Big Ten has to offer. But the way that Wisconsin is doing it, they are a buzzsaw. I like the Badgers in this one as well. UCLA at number 11, Oregon, 2.30 p.m. ESPN2. Oregon. Simple as that. It's just that simple. UCLA is an defense. Or UCLA is just an afterthought in the in the Pac-12 right now. It's so sad. I miss the days when UCLA was good, decent, you know, good among Pac-12 teams. Didn't they have they Maurice the Jones USC Drew? UCLA game more fun. Didn't they have? Wasn't didn't Maurice Jones Drew go there in the early 2000s? Wasn't he a UCLA guy? I don't know. Alabama, Alabama played UCLA in the early 2000s, and they came to Bryant Denny and beat us. And that's, I've hated LSU. I mean, I've hated UCLA ever since. <laughs> and, you, and you hate LSU, too. I hate them, Oregon, too. Oregon, I'm with you. Oregon, because their defensive backs are going are gonna to be much better at containing UCLA's athletes than UCLA doing the same on Oregon side. Kansas State at number 17, Iowa State, 3 p.m. Fox. This is big for Big 12 implications for the title game. If Kansas State wins... Things get a little bit murky for that second team. Um, right now, Iowa State's leading the conference with one loss, so th- this could get a little crazy. Iowa State, you know, I just I'm trying to figure out like every time Kansas State wins a game, it's just this low scoring, holding the team to. I mean, they almost beat Oklahoma State. I mean, that's how I mean they held them to some low points. Iowa State, I like the offense. I like the Cyclones. They just they have it rolling this year. And why pick against the team who has it rolling? I'm absolutely in love with like the schematics of the things that Iowa State does on offense. And I know that's a side tangent, not really relevant to my pick, but I love shotgun offenses that use two tight end sets. It's, it's becoming more of a theme in college football and defenses that run the nickel have a really hard time handling the two tight ends. So I'm really loving what Matt Campbell's doing right now. These teams are very similar, but the difference here is Iowa State has Brees Hall, one of the most dominant running backs in college football. Kansas State does not. The rushing attack is going to be the difference in this one. Iowa State gets the dub. Tennessee at number 23, Auburn, 6 p.m. ESPN. Tennessee averaging 20.7 points per game. Listen, they're just not good. And this is another week where we're, we're going to see Auburn improve, but it's also another week where we're going to we're just still not going to know how good Auburn is or is not because their last three games on this three-game win streak after they beat Tennessee have come against 
LSU, Tennessee, and Ole Miss. And this Tennessee team, I think, like, you're right what you said earlier. Auburn could have become Tennessee. This Tennessee team, they've bowed down. They have quit. Their season is over. Um, It's ugly. I, I like Jeremy Pruitt. I just think that he has too much old school mixed in with his personality to be a dominant young head coach that doesn't win a lot. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. got to be like, you got to be a Ryan Day, hard-nosed but fun. Jimmy Pruitt's not like a hard-nosed but fun guy. He's a Nick Saban type of guy who doesn't have the credentials in the bag. to. So when he does get on the kids, it's, hey, we're going to win a national title. That's in my pedigree. It's not his pedigree. See, he's not even Kirby. I, I would say Kirby's one of those young, hard-nosed but fun guys. Jimmy Pruitt doesn't strike me as that guy. I don't know how he's going to lead this Tennessee program. I don't definitely not winning. He's not winning this weekend. They're not getting the quarterback play. That's why Tennessee's going to lose it. Auburn's going to get the quarterback play. Auburn's going to get, I think, a complete performance out of this one, unless they're looking ahead to the Iron Bowl. But I still like the Tigers to win, even if they are looking ahead. So give me Auburn. Number 14, Oklahoma State at number 18, Oklahoma, 6.30 p.m., ABC, Bedlam. Now this one, just a side note before you make your pick. If Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State in this one, it's a two-team race at that point because Oklahoma will hold tiebreakers. If, if Iowa State ends up beating Kansas State like we expect, it'll be Iowa State and Oklahoma narrowed down as the two teams heading off to that Big 12 title game. It's not clinched, but it's definitely came down to those two. I've picked Oklahoma State all year, and they have been slowly – it doesn't. It just feels like they haven't been getting better. And since Oklahoma started off, what, 0-2 in Big, in Big 12 play – it's like they've been getting a little bit better. And points, what troubles me is points have been tough to come by for Oklahoma State over the last few weeks. I don't like Spencer Rattler as a person, but I think Oklahoma wins this game. And it's in Oklahoma's DNA, by the way. They do the OU DNA. This is their DNA to win the Big 12. And the Oklahoma defense is kind of is shockingly like decent yeah. this year. Like they're defending the run really well, like under a hundred yards allowed per game on the ground. That's what Oklahoma state tries to do every game. I, I think they're, I think they're going to be slowed down a little bit and Oklahoma won't be impeded whatsoever. That offense is still electric. So give me the Sooners in this one as well. I, we might pick the same every game this week, oh. Missouri at South Carolina, six thirty PM SEC network alternate. Some teams after firing a head coach, they just do crazy. Like Clemson, when they fired their when they fired Bowden and they made Dabo the interim. Same thing with LSU and and USC when they had had Ed O doing it there. Missouri though is still one of those teams to me that they can if they play a solid game, they win. And I don't know what a solid game looks like from South Carolina other than Auburn turning it over four times and still fortunate to get a win at the end. Like I just don't know. Give me give me Missouri. Here's the thing. Missouri's the the Arkansas of the East. If they yeah. win this weekend, they're at four and four, and nobody expected them to be there. South Carolina's given up. J.C. Horn opts out. Their coach is gone, and then all of a sudden, guys start opting out this week. It's a morale thing here. Missouri's playing to improve themselves and get to 500. South Carolina's like, yeah, I don't think we're going to a bowl game this year, right? So I'm with you, morale. And I think we see Missouri bowling at the end of the year, which there are no win-loss parameters on that anymore. But I think we're going to be wanting to watch Missouri playing in a bowl game at the end of this year. Maybe they get above 500. Who knows? Number 20, USC at Utah, 9.30 p.m. ESPN. Last game here. I still don't know about USC. I don't know, and I just feel like Cal went Utah either. Yeah, I know, but it, like, Cal, like, who do you like more? Just let me ask you this before you pick your game: Whittingham or Hilton? Whittingham. Yeah, and that just that makes me want to pick them so badly. 
Do it. We need to pick different. Go ahead, pick Utah. But I'm not going to give up a game here because I do think USC has the better. Did they have the better quarterback in this game? They do. Yeah, Slovis is better than Jake Bentley. Uh, I mean, we haven't seen enough from Jake Bentley. No, we understand we haven't seen enough from Bentley. Now we think he is, and we probably know that he is. But would Jake Bentley could come out and surprise everybody. Give me USC. Darn it! You pick. You got to get back in this thing. Something. I'll pick Utah. This is when I separate. Yeah, running the point, I I picked. In running the point, I picked USC, but I am going to pick Utah now. Well, this, come on, that doesn't count. I mean, you got to. You can't just pick. You go. Are you like the guy on ESPN that just does like three different morning shows and you pick the different guy every time? I mean, come on. <laughs> Look, I picked USC. I'll make an argument for both, and my final pick will be USC for the standings. So me and you pick every game, but I'll make the argument for both, and then we'll get out of here. USC, Keaton Slovis, better than Jake Bentley. USC has got the offensive edge probably on Utah, and I think they've probably got the defensive edge as well. Utah's only bringing back two guys on the defensive side of the ball. Now, why Utah should probably win this game, because I don't feel great about USC winning it either. Their better coach, Kyle Whittingham, is a stable coach in college football. He's like a Gus Malzahn out in the Pac-12. He's going to get the he's, – he's going to win all the games that he should, might not win the big one. He's just a good coach. And then you also look at Utah – Jake Bentley, he's not going to turn the ball over a whole lot. Keaton Slovis, kind of a little bit turnover happy. It's in Rice Eccles Stadium. This USC team could be just as easily 0-2. They've only beaten both of their teams that they've played, the two Arizona teams, who are two of the worst teams that the Pac-12 has to offer this year. They've only beaten them by a combined five points. So USC just as easily could be 0-2. Maybe USC's the Auburn of the Pac-12. I don't know. But that's my argument for both of them. My official pick will be USC because that's the pick I made on running the point. So, this week, standings are going to stay the same again, but I really like our picks this week. This is the only one where I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know how I feel about it. But that does it for another edition of On the Line. Noel Gardner, Jeremy Law, back with you next week. Same time, same place. You know where to find us. God bless everybody. So long. Thanks for listening to On the Line, the product of Radio Alabama Sports. To follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, find Radio Alabama Sports. For more episodes and show notes, visit RadioAlabamaSports.net. 